Yeah, let's make sure it's recording. I've heard so many times when podcasts, occasionally you, I believe as well, uh, uh, fail to record. Yeah, yep. that's yep. not fun for anyone. Drug dealer benzes with gold diggers in them. An elevator condo. This song is about your life. Song. On everything I love. <laughs> Do you know who this, this is? This really has me down. I have no idea. Uh, do you want to make a guess? No, I don't. I'm sure whatever my guess would be would sound offensive. Okay, well, fair enough. All right, we're back with another episode. Sorry we didn't get out, get one out last week. Uh, I just ran into a bunch of um, things that stopped us, but uh, I was still going strong on patreon.com slash sundaypuncher. Become a backer over there, and you'll never be without content. Never be without a podcast to listen to. You get immediate reactions to the daily news of like whatever's going on in the sport. Like some of the, a lot of the topics we're going to talk about today. Um, at least we're going to go into it a little more in depth probably here because um, you know I got Tom on with me. Tom's going to provide another side, but you do have some coverage of that or immediate reaction to whatever's being announced. So let's get into this. I want to start. Um, and over the weekend, Jerwin Ancajas wins a decision. Kalia Fai stops his guy. And then Nylia Inouye destroys Jamie McDonald. And the only fight that I think is worthwhile to really spend some time about is the Inouye fight. But I'm going to repeat a point that I've, I've said frequently in the past. First round knockouts teach you nothing. It's really hard to take anything away from a first round knockout Unless you know that the guy came in fully like ready to go. Like McDonald wasn't weight drained. And then McDonald got beat. So uh, we're going to skip all that. Because we got a lot of news and not a lot of time to, to record today. So Canelo and Golovkin. The rematch is dead. And uh, the reason why is because of the split. So Tom, why don't you take it away from here? Um, there are so many different ways we can go on... on why the rematch is dead, and I'm going to leave it up to you. Like You can lead where we're going to go first, but believe me, we're going to touch on all things around why this is probably not going to happen. So where do you want to go? Sure. And so I'm going to I take Golovkin's a... side on this one. Fair warning. Sure. So just, just at least related to recent Twitter stuff, uh, Oscar De La Hoya just tweeted half an hour ago as of recording this podcast, uh, Canelo is moving on. The only possible way he fights Triple G Boxing in September is on the same terms we agreed on for the first fight. So really what uh, <laughs> he also said, hashtag Daniel Jacobs, hashtag Charlo, hashtag Saunders, uh, misspelling Billy, J. Saunders's, uh, Billy Joe Saunders's name. No, maybe he wants Canelo to fight the Seattle soccer team. Hey, that's a possibility. Yeah, I'm, I, I want to look that name up in BoxRec and see if there actually is someone from that name who's like uh, the number like 260th ranked middleweight, and that's actually who he's talking about bringing in. Um, yeah, so really the current current situation, uh, as I understand it anyway, I think you're more pessimistic than I am, is that they're uh, <laughs> caught on a perspective. Uh, split issue. So the first fight was 70-30, which I hadn't actually known, I guess. Uh, had you known that? Was that public previously? I, I just heard that come up in the, the press this week. But no, I didn't know about it until I, I, I saw it. Yeah, which strikes me as reasonably fair to Triple G, considering the tremendous disparity in their drawing power. Um, so that was the first fight. And then now Triple G's side has been very vocal that they feel because of the drug test, they feel they're owed, <laughs> you know, they just feel they're owed more money and they want a 50-50 split now. Uh, you know, meanwhile, he fought Venice Martirosian, couldn't sell out the StubHub Center. Um, they're not, yeah, StubHub, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, proving that he really doesn't have any options. This is something we've talked about on the podcast before. Negotiation all comes down to your best alternative to a negotiated agreement. So if all Triple G can make, is a million dollars fighting someone else. He has no leverage related to Canelo. So he should be extremely happy for a 70-30 split. And even better than that, um, this week uh, in the press, it was uh, sort of aired that uh, Golden Boy was willing to offer him a 35-65 split. So actually improving on the first fight. So mm -hmm. um, strange situation. I mean, most people scored the first fight for Golovkin. Uh, outside of that Adelaide Bird card, so you'd think he'd be happy to take the rematch and get the win. They're offering him more favorable terms, which I would argue heavily he does not deserve. So, kind of a strange situation. It seems like uh, Tom Loeffler and Triple G are working themselves into a shoot 
they don't deserve more money than that. I don't know why they're holding out for it because Canelo can go out and fight no one. <laughs> I mean, he's calling out Daniel Jacobs and hashtag Sounders, uh, but we all know he could fight Mustache Man and still probably sell pay-per-view uh, pay-per-view buy rate in the high six figures. So, you know, if he if Canelo can make eight figures fighting an absolute gimme fight against uh, you know British domestic scene fighter. Why not do that instead of fighting Golovkin when their Golovkin side is asking for completely unreasonable terms? Anyway, your take. Well, I mean, in part, I, I agree with you if you're asking for my personal opinion, but I'm going to go with the Golovkin side because obviously it's not fun if we just sit here and agree with each other. But here's the thing. Um, Canelo made a lot of money in that Golovkin fight. He made a lot of money. The, the gate was a, a big gate. And that only happened because Golovkin was the opponent. When he fought Chavez Jr., while the pay-per-view buys were pretty close, and you need if you don't know that, Golovkin only brought 300,000 more buys, the best matchup in boxing, bar none at that point. The best matchup in boxing was only able to do 300,000 more buys than a basically joke matchup between Canelo and Chavez Jr. So having said that, having said that, the live gate was a lot bigger, and that's probably because of the way tickets were priced. Um, But Canelo did what he did because he had Golovkin. And there's no guarantee that Danny Jacobs, there's no argument that could be made that Danny Jacobs that Billy Joe Saunders, that whoever, Jamal Charlo, no argument whatsoever that Canelo could bring to the table or could take away from the fight what he took away by fighting Golovkin. It has everything to do with the matchup, and that's what we've seen even with Floyd, is the matchups matter. And right now, Canelo does not have leverage to deliver a matchup that's as intriguing to the public as the one against Golovkin. And I think the other part is that K2 sees that while, yes, it was a draw. If you if you have if you want to take any sort of umbrage with that, by the way, listener, like just stop. It was a draw. I don't care about your opinion because I have an opinion, you have an opinion. We all have opinions. But BoxRec doesn't show any of those. The Nevada State Athletic Commission didn't file that as anything other than a draw. Now, the good part is that you do think it was a win or you do think it was a loss for one of the guys. So that leads you to want to see the fight again because what's written and committed to paper isn't exactly lining up with your your memory or your retelling of that night of that fight so you have a matchup that has not just a great matchup on paper because we've seen great matchups not draw Kolov versus Ward didn't draw and it was a great matchup but when you've got Golovkin Canelo great matchup add on history add on a built-in storyline well now You've really got something on your hands there. So that alone is, I can see why they feel they're deserving of a 50-50 split. Now, and I also see on the internet, like justification, like, well, Golovkin's the champion. That's a stupid excuse. If you think (laughs) that that's an excuse, please go back to the drawing board. That's not why he's deserving a 50-50. You have to so there's hard numbers that you can look at. Okay? Now, you have to fudge them a little bit. Okay? Because over time what we've shown is that Golovkin does 175,000 pay-per-view buys without Canelo. Canelo comes to town and now it's 1.3 million. You're not telling me that those those numbers came from Golovkin, but at the same time, when Canelo was selling pay-per-views against a guy who didn't have a built-in following, you know, we're looking at 300,000. So you can kind of see that each guy has their argument. And in that case where both guys have an argument, it's very, very 
very difficult to come to some sort of agreement. You can look in your own life. When each person has a legitimate claim to something, it's hard to settle on some sort of compromise. So, I mean, I didn't do the best job. Like, I I just obviously didn't go skip Bayless mode on you. But I think that's a reasonable justification as to why Canelo or Golovkin might be deserving of one or 50-50. And to summarize, is basically like it's proven that he has been able, apart from Floyd, to, along with Canelo, provide the type of intrigue for the public that means that they're both bringing a lot of money to the table and therefore should each get equally compensated. Yeah, I mean... uh Thank you for taking that side of it, because, yeah, I mean, we definitely were both more uh, understanding Golden Boy's business standpoint. Yeah, I mean, there's not much more to say. Definitely agree with you. I mean, uh, Triple G would equal the most pay-per-view buys for Canelo, definitely the most money. At the same time, I just think, you know, Triple G relatively needs Canelo much more than Canelo needs Triple G. Um, I, you know... Again, I, I think Canelo could make uh, do a high six-figure pay-per-view buy, which is you know less than the 1.3 that the G fight did the last time against a much much lower level of opposition, and his fans would still buy it. So yeah, I mean, is there some brand damage if people say you lost to Triple G, even though it's recorded as a draw, and you need to make up for that? I mean, I guess, but Canelo's a lot younger. Um, if the Triple G fight happens down the road, it's just going to continue to you know, go more in his favor with Triple G uh, getting older and older. So, you know, just seems like it's really in Triple G's interest to take the fight. Hard to understand the argument that they have. But, yeah, I mean, that's why I really am more optimistic than you that the fight will actually get made because it really just seems like it's in the interest of both guys and especially on Triple G's side. So if they are the one holding it up, holding out for a slightly better purse split, you know, okay, fine. If they end up getting a 60-40 split instead of a 65-35 or 70-30, that's a big advantage for them. So that's probably more of what this is about. I mean, I don't think they're completely stupid. They're probably holding out for a slightly better per split. Still is, you know, pretty significant amount of money when you're talking about the amount of total revenue involved that they're dealing with. Now, I, I think that this is a really stupid move because Golovkin's been handed, consistently handed, a great hand. Of like you know, if you're playing cards, like you just got a good hand, and K two has continually ruined it. <laughs> There's no reason why he should have gotten criticism for fighting Martirosian, but somehow he did. Eh, and it's and they're a lot of fudging. There, I would say, <laughs> well, they're messing up how he's being perceived. Like at this point, uh, Golovkin is you know adored. Everyone loves him except Canelo's diehard fans. And um, heading into this fight, the last thing you want associated with with Golovkin is somebody who's greedy, who just wants to fight for money. And that's never been the case with Golovkin. Wow, that's a good that point. has been the reason why he has built up the fan base is because he's consistently said, I just want to fight the best. Get me whoever. I'll fight him. Money has never been an issue for him. It's just been, let's fight him. Hey, I'm not going to fight Canelo on May 5th. Okay, I want to fight still. Get me the best guy that we can get. Now, obviously, he doesn't pick the opponent. He didn't go out and say, hey, uh, let's let's take a look at Vanis Martirosi. And he hasn't been out of the, he's been out of the ring for two years. It's probably a good opportunity and time now to get at him. But I, I do think that his whole career, Golovkin's been built as this guy who's not like the guys at PBC, not like the Al Heyman guys, not like the protected cash cows like a Canelo. He's a guy that just, hey, I fight the best because I have nothing else to, to like, basically, I cannot get, like, a Mayweather. I don't have that luxury of a big cash cow. The moment Canelo started to look like he can get to 160, well, then Golovkin had that. But let's say Canelo never existed. Or Canelo was just a 147-pound fighter. What would Golovkin do? Obviously, we don't need to get into that because we're getting into like a different type of podcast is not what we do. But, you know, I just think that this was the last thing that they needed. Let's say Golovkin yeah. ends up losing the rematch. It looks so bad in the in the end that it's almost like... All, like you know how um, something happens and then everyone... 
like you piece together the story and that becomes the narrative. And it's basically the made up narrative of like, so I'll just give you an example. So let's say that they don't rematch in September, but maybe they make the fight next May. Okay. And between then they both fight scrubs and, and win until they get at each other. And then Canelo beats up on Golovkin, whether he stops him, outpoints him. Basically, it's not the same old Golovkin. Then the narrative over time will become, well, Golovkin was, he knew he was done after that rematch. Rematch. He had a draw. It was a close fight. And then also, as time goes on, the whoever was the ultimate winner in their career, things start to shift. So people will see, start to see, hey, Canelo did really well in that fight against Golovkin. And then we saw the signs of how to beat Golovkin. And then Golovkin rejects the fight. He doesn't want to fight because of the split. And then when they actually do make the fight, um, Canelo beats him. And it's going to be like, oh, Golovkin knew he was going to lose. He was making excuses. He didn't want to fight him, blah, blah, blah. That's the, the storyline. And that's I'm not saying that it's going to happen for sure, but I'm saying that that's something that if it does, I don't think Golovkin deserves. <laughs> that's not how he deserves to be remembered in this era. But history has a way of just not being fair. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting angle to take on it. I mean, I, I usually uh, just always pivot back to the business side of it versus right. like, you know, how someone deserves to be perceived. I mean, you know, on that note, he's going to be a hero in Kazakhstan no matter what. Um, you yeah. know, he's already a national hero in Kazakhstan. Uh, in the United States, yeah, people might view him that way. I, I think more rational people will view it as just the time ran out on his career. And I think, you know, would say um, with pretty strong argument that he never had convincing wins during his prime against other good fighters. But to get to get back to more of the general topic, I mean, I think you touched on a good thing. I mean, both of them do, regarding the negotiation, have a lot to lose in terms of their brand value. I mean, that's not insignificant. I mean, Canelo is being taken to the woodshed regarding the PED topics and online discussions. I think we both have uh, pretty much forgiven him for that or, or felt that it's kind of been blown out of proportion and, you know, is kind of a plausible excuse there. Uh, I am oversimplifying things, but the reaction online, especially from the, the Mexican fans, like we've started to do a lot more stuff with um, Spanish language content on our Facebook page. Um, in terms of sharing into Spanish language groups and dealing with uh, Russian language groups and this, uh, just, you know, by nature of having Leo to translate the Spanish club to translate the Russian and the Spanish language fans really, really, really <laughs> are on top of uh, Canelo. Uh, it's it's pretty hilarious, actually, how much hatred there is there. I mean, granted, there's probably a lot more praise there as well, but the, the hatred is so visible related to the um, the clenbuterol thing. And regarding Golovkin, yeah, he's he stands to lose something as well. I mean, that's another whole interesting thing. I mean, Golovkin, if he loses to Canelo, you know, whether it's now or a year from now, um, will without question lose any chance he ever had to be a pay-per-view fighter. I mean, he'll probably continue to kick along on on hbo he'd probably be more dropped down to where sergey kovalev is right now he'll be more popular than that but you know he can make some hbo paydays but the chance for him to be a pay-per-view star goes back a number of years ago when there were talks of him fighting julio caesar chavez jr you know that could have made it happen even then he was a little bit old but that could have been a pay-per-view at that time we saw the numbers for chavez versus canelo maybe mexico versus kazakhstan is not as uh, big a draw as an all mexico showdown but that would have done some numbers and you know again he kind of ran into some trouble you know when he started to slow down with the decision uh against uh jacobs which was you know viewed you know really off brand for him going the distance and then in the canelo fight getting the draw losing his uh you know unblemished record still hadn't lost but lost the unblemished record so you know the chance would have been if he had blown out canelo you think oh man maybe he could have done some pay-per-views like a lot of that canelo shine would have gotten onto him that didn't happen you know he got the draw which you know is kind of a mixed outcome but you know, we saw from the Marty Rosian fight, they tried, albeit on short notice, to see what they could get together. And his side really seemed to think, okay, the T-Mobile Arena might still be in play. Okay, the MGM Grand might still be in play. Okay, we're going to SubHub. <laughs> oh, man, we can't even sell out SubHub. You know, again, late replacement, not the best opponent. But um, if that's the best you can do with an A-side, I mean, yeah, right. I mean, if that's the best they could muster... Um, I mean, I think already, you know, if he knocks out Canelo, I guess maybe he could do a few more pay-per-views plausibly, but um, seems unlikely that will happen. I mean, even with the decision win, it seems unlikely we'd get to that point. Yeah, certainly a loss. 
without question would permanently drop him down to the HBO level. But even then, you know, he'd probably be like Sergei Kovalev. He could still probably make, you know, mid six figures for fights. And that's how the rest of his career would likely play out if he decided to keep fighting. Well, you know, he's well, still a wealthy man by Kazakhstan standards if he wants to go back there. So who knows? Well, you're making a big assumption that HBO is still going to be paying out the checks to Gennady Golovkin. <laughs> yeah, um, maybe DAZN would sweep in and give him a proper payday. Hey, that's not a bad idea. But I, I want to finish this off by saying one one thing, and I think it kind of summarizes what's happening here. And you you basically just you you beautifully demonstrated this. So there's two ways to negotiate, and we're seeing it play out here. K2 is going after the sort of emotional style negotiation where they're trying to read feelings and sentiment and project that and use that as their leverage in the negotiation. Whereas Golden Boy just has the hard numbers. Golden Boy is the one looking at actual business metrics and all that stuff to determine who's going to be or who deserves a bigger split here. And you have to look for yourself like each time you want to justify one thing or another, which one are you, are you, which side are you on? Are you looking at emotions and uh, feelings, that sort of thing? Or are you just actually looking at the hard numbers? Because if you look at, I think if you look at the business side of things, it's clear that Canelo is the biggest draw in boxing. Nobody should be getting 50-50 for him or in a fight with him. Floyd Mayweather versus Manny Pacquiao, that wasn't even 50-50. And those are legitimately the two biggest draws in boxing. Right now, Canelo and Golovkin are not the two biggest draws in boxing. Golovkin might be in the top five, but he's not even in the same tier as Canelo at all. He's two, he's, he's probably, I mean, there's a big gap between number one and number the first tier and the second tier. And Golovkin might be in that second tier, but he certainly isn't anywhere close to Canelo. And that's why I think it's a little delusional to think that they can, they have the leverage to negotiate 50-50. Now, is this, if this is a ploy to get maybe 39%, okay, fine. Right, right, which I think it is. This is a ploy to get a marginally better split. But, but Golden Boy has called their bluff and said, fine, the fight's off, which is dangerous if you're K2 because now you have, like, I mean, it's, it's just interesting to see what how... how K2 plays this out if they just say fine we'll just go fight someone else then or they're going to play hardball and say well you know we were just kidding a little bit we do want the fight what what about uh we want 40 (laughs) percent but you know uh so there's that uh and we'll just kind of move on from that I want to talk about the match room the zone days in I've decided I'm going to call it days in uh, I really just the zone is just really like I, I find <laughs> keep, it hard keep fighting to that say. battle. I just find it hard to say. Like I, it's it's like it does not flow well. So Dazen is a new name. Uh, Matchroom and Dazen are struggling to sign guys. The deal's been announced for what two three weeks now. It's probably like two weeks. The time is really flying for me, but it's it's probably been two weeks. We saw that Matchroom has said, sent over some emails to Adrian Broner saying, Broner, you know, we're going to keep you busy. We're going to keep you paid, blah, blah, blah. And Broner laughed in their face. Adam Konaki was offered a million-dollar deal, and he said, nah, I'm good. Yeah, that's the crazy one. All right, so which one do you want to touch on first? Up to you. Oh, I mean, well, the whole thing is fascinating. Um, I, I kind of want to skip to the head. I want to hotshot this topic. Um I think something which is really interesting when you see, especially like the PBC, um, like Heyman guys, there there's sort of two big interesting topics really this whole thing. I mean, one is also lumping both top rank and zone together. I'll continue to say zone because why not? I'm looking forward to covering their fights eventually. Um, they're both struggling to sign guys. Top rank has their ESPN deal. They're trying to get guys in there. You know, we'll, we'll get to this later. They're resorting to increasingly unscrupulous tactics to try to do that and you know opening themselves up to a lot of civil liability as a result um and you know on the zone guys so hard we basically have a fishing expedition you know uh hern is basically saying you know 
throwing some numbers out, and right now he hasn't gotten any bites. Actually, I've heard rumors. Do you know anything about this, that Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. was signing with him, and so was Gabriel Rosado? I've I heard seen that, but I haven't seen any press Yeah, I, yeah, I don't know if that's releases. official. They might be waiting. I mean, that would also, by the way, open up the possibility they could have signed a handful of guys, and they're waiting to do a press conference where they can announce like a group of them. But anyway, to speak specifically... Yeah, specifically about the like the PBC guys, like Adam Kanaki and uh, Broner. There's also been rumors that they're trying to get Thurman. I think one, um, you know, gets back to two things. One, the um, payment situation in the Heyman universe is a lot more mysterious than a lot of people sometimes recognize. Like people will throw out the numbers for the declared purses from state athletic commissions, but there's always been rumors and indications that the fighters are actually getting paid more than that. You know, a lot of that has to do with, you know, back end for various reasons. A lot of the fighters like Broner has AB, you know, about billions promotions. Uh, Spence now has a promotional company uh, starting with his next fight. I believe that'll be the first fight where his promotional company has been advertised along with the fight. Uh, You know, another promoter. So these fighters are getting some amount of back end, whether it's, you know, some percentage of the, um, you know, other person. Anyway, don't need to, to belabor that point. So some part of this could be Hearn literally not understanding how much these fighters actually make and just throwing out numbers to try to experiment. I think what's more interesting and what I really want to get to is something we talked about on our long form podcast on this topic, which is, you know, how much leverage lies with Al Heyman. If Hearn needs to sign all these fighters and all of these fighters are with Al Heyman, you start to have, you know, collective bargaining. You know, you have all of these fighters and Hearn would say, hey, Adam Kanaki, come over here. I'll pay you a million and a half dollars. How about instead there's a deal where they negotiate 20 Heyman fighters, which is, you know, literally Heyman's sable is so big. You could see something like that. And when you negotiate on that scale, Kanaki ends up getting four million, you know, instead of a million and a half. And, you know, I, I just mentioned him because he's a lower level fighter. I mean, he's the sort of guy if this premise really holds through that Hearn thinks, oh, they don't have a promotional agreement, so I can just pick him up, you know, you right. would think he would be the first guy to jump. That's by far more money than he's ever made. But this indicates that there's a belief that, one, you know, Al Heyman is negotiating for them, and he's using the strength of his stable to, you know, try to get some higher numbers out of this. I mean, the third piece of this is they simply make a lot more now than we know about. But I think it's probably more that this is related to some sort of group bargaining. And, you know, Chavez Jr. has a relationship with Al Heyman. Rosado doesn't. But, you know, you could see some guys get picked off. You know, it, it, it kind of depends. But I think that's really the interesting thing to see if they're holding out to get a bigger group. Because something that we talked about is, you know, this type of deal, it's bizarre that they did it in kind of reverse. You'd think you'd want to sign the fighters up first and then say, oh, we have this amount of money. Instead, if you have, say, I have a billion dollars to work with, why would they sign a deal for a million and a half? They can say, okay, well, if you're going to have a budget of $8 million for one of these cards, I can continue to hold out for more and more money because mm-hmm. right now the leverage mm-hmm. is all, all on our side. We have all, you know, if Heyman Boxing has all these fighters signed to advisory agreements, they can hold out. I mean, Hearn's money, there have been some other things that have trickled out since then that it's really not a, it's not a four, Hearn always talks about an eight-year deal, but we had heard it's it a was a four-year deal, deal with a option. four-year option. Since then, it's come out that it's actually a two-year deal. And everything after that is so it also gets back to something we talked about on that podcast. How much of this reporting is unconfirmed? Um, right. Everything I've heard since then has been it's actually a two year deal. So, you know, really raises a lot of question marks about how big of a commitment there actually is. Um, you know, it makes sense to sign Broner for that amount of money because he could then feed him to his own fighters potentially. You could definitely see out of a three fight Broner deal him fighting Khan, which, you know, is a strong chance of winning, but then get a Brook fight at a catch weight, not good for Broner, and a fight against uh, Josh Kelly, which, you know, I don't know, that that could be good for Josh Kelly, that could be a very good deal for Hearn, so, but maybe not good for Adrian Broner, which is the last point I'll get on before I throw it back to you. Another piece of this uh, could have to do with just um, the Heyman guys liking the way that business is done over there. That was a big thing we've heard about since the rise of the PBC and even before that, that Heyman gives the guys a tremendous amount of power. He'll typically give them three options for fights at any given time, and they might take the fights or they might not, depending on, on the amount of money, but they have a certain amount of agency in their career. And they could say, okay, I might take a big payday, but it's an expected loss, but you know, I want to make that doll- I want to make those dollars right now. Or they might want to take a lower level fight, fight on like an FS1 card and kind of rehabilitate their career. They have those options. 
this deal, the way Hearn presented it, seemed like you know the goal here was for Hearn to try to maximize his money, which could result in Adrian Broner being match tough three times. You know, if <laughs> there were a scenario where, uh, you know, just just imagine Hearn throws out all this money and Adrian Broner has to fight Errol Spence. That's good for Errol Spence. That's potentially good for uh, <laughs> Eddie Hearn if he holds Spence's contract at that point. Very bad for Adrian Broner. You know, potentially career ending for him. Anyway, I've been yeah. talking a long time. Yep. Back to you. Well, I think first of all, um, I was wondering, and I'll have to look into this, but is there something in the Ali Act that prohibits that kind of behavior? Because where you're negotiating on behalf of a large group of fighters. Um, as the manager, yes, but as what Eddie Hearn is doing, it, it's uh, I don't know that there's there may be something there. So don't run with that. But uh, I'd have to look into it. But it does I seem. I don't think so. I'll try to look into that. But um, if you're just talking about negotiating, um, I mean, that's exactly in a way what ESPN did with um, Top Rank. I mean, that's a promoter and not a manager. But he promoted for he, you know, made a deal related to his entire stable on the ESPN network. Anyway, uh, go on. Well, and then the other thing is um, Eddie Hearn has is basically for better or worse, certainly for worse for him. But as far as fighters go, for better or worse, basically reversed the way uh, the negotiation typically has worked. In the past, we've had promoters take fights that they believe a network would be interested in and said, how much are you willing to pay for this? And then they negotiate back and forth. And that's kind of how it works. And even though a network may have a budget, the network can go to any promoter they can go to any 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 promoter and say, hey, we want this fighter. Like, can we get a fight against this guy? And they might say yes or no. Now, what Hearn's doing is how, like, the NFL works, where they have a salary cap. They know, Everyone knows they're spending X amount of dollars, and they have guys signed up for whatever amount of years. Now, if you're signed to that team and you don't think your your, your deal is fair, maybe you're still on your rookie deal, you can hold out and say, I'm not showing up. I will not get on the field until we renegotiate my contract. I'm worth far more to the team than I'm getting paid. And then the team is basically held hostage. You cut them, you trade them, or you give them, the, you give them what they want. And what Eddie Hearn has is he's basically taken all the leverage that he could have had and said, no, uh, I have this amount of money, just like he said. And, I'm, and I need fighters and I need fights. So the fighters are saying, well, you got $125 million to work with. You can give me a little more. Like, I, I know you're stable of fighters and you're trying to do Matchroom USA. Notice the USA part. None of your fighters can draw what I can draw in America. Bring Luke Campbell. Okay, enjoy your ratings with him on, on Matchroom USA. But I'm actually a guy who's fought all of my career in America. So you tell me what you want to do. And it gives the fighters an enormous amount of leverage here to negotiate. And it's why you have Broner saying just outright no. You have Konaki saying no thanks. Because if they're not going to get paid what they feel, and not only what they feel, but what they feel they can get, it's not what they think they're worth. It's what they think they can get. And when they see $125 million to spend across 16 cards, is it? Um, there's yeah, certainly, everyone is going to overvalue themselves just like uh, Golovkin's overvaluing himself. And if the negotiation for 50% is a legitimate thing now, it may or may not be, but that's part of the thing that's kind of a uh, uh, puzzling. And the other thing is, um, here's the thing with Al Heyman going back to the whole group negotiation thing, which is smart. No doubt about it. Um, Heyman has been in this situation before. He managed or advised a bunch of guys. And when he w would go to HBO, he had to get deals in, in time for all these guys because he's their manager. And what he said is, or their advisor, and what he said as advisor is, look, I will go to, to negotiate for you on your behalf with HBO or Showtime, and I'm going to get you a deal. And let's kind of, and I'm, I'm actually telling you what's happening, okay? This isn't speculation here. They have a meeting. And what happens in the meeting is Heyman will, will say to the guy, how much do you think you're worth? Like, how much do you want to make in this fight? And if the guy says, I want to make $100 million, Heyman will probably say, like, look, get, let's, let's be realistic. 
And so they come up with the figure. And the figure is based off of what they think they're worth, how much, you know, obviously they're taking the risk in the ring, blah, blah, blah. Heyman goes then to the network and negotiates. And again, if you've never heard Heyman, or if you don't know, I'm telling you this from, from like, sign up for Patreon. There's an episode that I did on Al Heyman, which actually will explain to you how negotiation happens and what happens in those negotiations. But basically, he's going to get as close to the figure that they agree on as possible. Now, things changed when PBC came along. Um, but anyway, I'm talking about how he would negotiate with HBO. Now, when it comes to all the guys, what Heyman had before, he doesn't have this anymore, but what he had in the past was Floyd Mayweather, the ultimate carrot. And using Mayweather's leverage with Mayweather, he was able to get guys deals that they might not have gotten. Now, over time, it worked out because Adrian Broner is one of the bigger draws in the sport, but I'm sure HBO had some apprehension to paying this guy who they'd never seen fight uh, on their airwaves. Now, can he be doing that with uh, Dazen? Maybe. But I think it, it, it really depends. And this next few months are really interesting, especially with that Garcia-Porter fight. I don't know about you, Tom, but and we can start to pivot into this, but... I haven't seen a network announced for Garcia Porter. Have you? Oh, very interesting. You know, I didn't even. Uh, that's very interesting. Okay. Usually, we know we knew Mikey Garcia. I didn't realize that versus was versus Robert Easter Jr. I mean, I so just assumed it was going to be on Showtime. I, you would think, but when we heard about um, Garcia fighting Robert uh, Easter Jr., I, I mentioned it a long time ago. Hey, Abner Morris threw out the first pitch for the Dodger game today. But um, <laughs> when they when they did the whole uh, – Lance Pugmire wrote a, wrote a story. It says this is going to be on Showtime. It's tentatively on these dates because they're they're still working it out with the Staples Center what date they're going to do. And then so we hear the, the news of this uh, Porter and Garcia fight, but no network was announced. They still yeah, have network TV dates, by the way. They still have network TV dates. So it yeah, could I don't be. see anything that says Showtime. I'm trying to look it up right now. I mean, it was announced, by the way, that it was won by Tom Brown and not Match from USA, but you know, could still end up being on the zone in some way. If uh, anyway, sorry, continue. Well, what if the co-main is a Match Room fighter, a Match Room USA fighter? Well, or just getting back to the thing we talked about or, or speculated about on the um, long-form podcast that DAZN could end up showing um, other promoters' stuff or, yeah, co-promotions. I mean, in the same way the current Matchroom USA card, right. I mean, you know, they could still win the purse bid and still have it be related to Matchroom USA in some way. I mean, it's at the Barclays Center, which is favorable to them. The timing doesn't work out exactly right because it was announced for August 25th and Hearn had already said they were planning to have the first Matchroom USA card in September with the first matchroom uh zone stream card from England in August uh as a warm-up but you know um it's, it's possible I mean it kind of breaks those things but those things aren't set in stone very interesting yeah I'm not seeing Showtime anywhere here Espinoza didn't tweet about it um it, I mean and then the other thing what if this is just a way to basically air uh Heyman's like hey we're gonna play all you guys we're gonna play all you guys Okay, I this did find a Ring Magazine article that mentioned, mentioned Showtime. What does it say? Uh, just says, Sean Porter, Danny Garcia agreed to terms for welterweight title fight on Showtime. I mean, if that's on Ring's website, they couldn't just print that who without wrote retracting it. it. Um, Michael Coppinger, who's you know, a legitimate guy. Uh, I just find it odd that... Um nobody is else is reporting that now it, I'm well not it's saying not it's officially wrong. announced i mean that's a whole other thing you know I, i've followed enough of these fights now and been at a lot of the kickoff press conferences i will almost certainly by the way be at the kickoff press conference to this when that comes up i mean they have official announce like they'll announce it announce it in the press or you'll have a purse bid like this but then they'll quote officially announce it and have a big media event when the tickets actually go on sale because they don't want to have like all the the news come out about it and have fight previews come out about it until tickets are actually on sale that's that's just a matter of business okay so i'm just going to assume it's on showtime i don't think it's worth it because it i mean anyway you can continue i know i, I kind of no, shot on the entire I, segment we were just doing i'm agreeing with that i do think it's going to be on showtime 
But the fact that that was left out could be an indicator that, hey, we are going to explore our options here. I see this fake poster someone made and they put Showtime Presents. It's like, dude, they haven't even <laughs> just said anything. It's not even a, like a, officially announced. They just reached a deal, by the way. <laughs> so, um, you know, this could be on any network, really. But obviously, the the, the favorite is Showtime. But I, I think it would be smart for Heyman to, to say, look, we're going to go negotiate around and see what everyone else is offering. Let's see what's the, what the market is right now. Um, and maybe Showtime, maybe what's the, the best move for his fighters is to go take some of that DAZN money. Maybe it's to take some of ESPN's money. Who knows? But I, I do think it would be irresponsible to not do that sort of due diligence and finding out what what everyone else is offering um even the tweet yeah, that yeah, michael time benson will tell. Stole. i mean i'm not going to speculate on this anymore <laughs> i don't know what you're talking about uh just so just for the record though michael benson from what i hear eddie hearn was going to bid on the fight so if it had gone to purse bid, yeah, Eddie Hearn would have bid on the fight, which would have been weird because, as you said, Hearn, the, the first uh, days in show in America was not planned until September. So a little odd, uh, but we got to keep moving. Uh, let's yes, talk please. about Anthony Joshua. Uh, it looks like he will reject that $50 million offer on the premise that he wants to fight in the UK and very likely then if seems like he'll be fighting Alexander Povetkin. Again, with the negotiation. You're turning down $50 million because you want to fight in front of your fans? How come that gets a pass? Why does that get a pass? Are you asking me, throwing that to me? Um... I mean, if if you have an answer, because I don't have an answer for that. I don't know how fans allow... Fighters to get away, especially when you're set to make $50 million. It's real interesting how Joshua can get away with doing stuff like this, but other fighters can't. If Canelo said, I'll rematch Golovkin for 50-50, but it has to be in Mexico. Yeah, that wouldn't go so well, would it? Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's it's an interesting topic. We have to fight in Alabama. Well, I mean, it just it gets back to the fractured nature of the boxing media and, you know, this the huge divide between the UK and the US. And um, yeah, I mean, there's shades of what happens to the political, you know, Trump says something, people go crazy on the left, uh, or they get super excited on the right, you know, Trump will say something which is, you know, just not even remotely true. And again, people will be excited to believe him or very angry at him and how that gets through that filter. I mean, if you if you read the comments and just try to keep up on what are the fanboys arguing about? Um, there, there are so many Eddie Hearn fans, not just UK boxing fans or Joshua fans, like Eddie Hearn fans, right. who will get in these comment threads and on Twitter and on Facebook and say, these guys need to sign with Eddie Hearn. He's the only one who can make the money, who will believe every side of this when Eddie Hearn was you know, denigrating Shelley Finkel and Al Heyman, who meanwhile have done you know, significantly bigger fights over the years have you know very very long built up track record compared to I know Eddie Hearn's you know family has been involved for a long time but compared to Eddie Hearn specifically he has a lot of attendance records in the UK but not a lot of global box office records you know and just really you know I, I mean Eddie Hearn would say things indicating basically these people are you know a joke they have no you know regard in the sport and blah 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 UK fans would just gobble that up so yeah I think he knows that. Uh, Anthony Joshua's core fan base one either doesn't care because a huge amount of his fan base is you know I mean he has a real crossover audience in the UK who just are not going to be reading the boxing press uh, or are hardcore UK fans who will believe anything he says and besides that I mean it just it comes down to its thing I've said many times before I mean from their standpoint I can completely understand why they don't want the fight uh, Anthony Joshua could fight three garbage opponents and make more than 50 to 50 million dollars you know uh, Wilder is without question the one fighter, the single fighter he can make the most money with right now. But uh, Joshua continued to fight lower level fighters, earn some more paydays. Uh, you know, there aren't any super scintillating names, but they'll still do big numbers in the UK. Meanwhile, Wilder, 
will get older. He continues to be injury prone. Without question, it favors Wilder to do the deal right now. And, you know, there's still these giant question marks about the the DAZN deal, how that impacts Anthony Joshua's business. Um, you know, he still has the Sky Sports deal in the UK, and presumably his fights will still be on pay per view in the UK on Sky. But he stands to make increasingly more money potentially off of this DAZN deal, and there could be you know, a decent amount of money being funneled from that to Anthony Joshua to pay him for his fights to be streamed internationally in the U.S. specifically. So, you know, when people talk about that billion-dollar deal, a certain amount of that could be earmarked for Anthony Joshua. So anyway, certainly I understand, you know, we got back to the Canelo and Golovkin fight. From a business standpoint, definitely understand why Joshua and his side wouldn't want the fight now. It's not about being scared. It's just a matter of making the most money possible. Wilder side, definitely understand why they want the fight now. But, you know, the games we're seeing now are basically fanboy arguments and trying to sort of figure out, can Anthony Joshua get out of this fight without damaging his brand in some way? And I think that's what you're seeing here. I mean, the heat has really cooled off of this. I mean, I don't think... With this demand for the fight in the UK, I think enough people buy it. I don't think, you know, I think both of us would say this is just their way of turning down the fight. We can say that pretty plainly. But yeah. I think as far as the sort of broader, you know, the fan base, how much will this tarnish um, Anthony Joshua's brand? I don't think that much. I mean, the, by the way, I just want to say, I mean, these are real issues as far as, you know, how much this could damage his brand. You look at... Uh, uh, Danny Garcia, how his brand went downhill. He beat Lucas Matisse and then was perceived as taking much, much easier fights, and his brand really dropped off. You saw that in his ratings. You saw that in terms of the internet traffic, if you look up his Google trend numbers. Same thing with Adonis Stevenson. You know, it was this perception that he was taking easier fights. You know, he was taking easier fights, but also Sergey Kovalev turned on a purse bid with him. But anyway, I mean, the end result was his brand really shrank away and his numbers diminished. Uh, so, but you know, that said, related to Joshua, I think, you know, if the fight ends up not happening and that ends up being the sticking point that it would have to be in the UK, I think he will, he and uh, Eddie Hearn will have effectively, you know, <laughs> gotten out of that one relatively clean. Yeah, so I, I definitely agree with you that this is a nice way of rejecting the offer altogether. Um, and the thing is, I, I just want to come back to is that it's just this is a prime example of how in boxing there are certain fan bases that just allow fighters to get away with things and other fan bases don't allow a, a fighter to get away with things. I mean, for all intents and purposes, this is a stupid move. The money is far greater in America. And I see people trying to make this argument all the time that the UK has far more to offer than America. No, it doesn't. You know how I know? Floyd Mayweather would have went and fought over there. Simple as that. If there was more money there, he would have fought there. It's simple. And then this whole argument of like, well, maybe the British fans won't travel and he doesn't want to, you know, basically give away home court advantage to Wilder. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Go watch Santa Cruz versus Frampton in Vegas and New York. You tell me who's got the bigger fan base there. Because I'll tell you something. It wasn't Santa Cruz. I was there live. At Frampton versus Santa Cruz 2, I think you were there at the first one, weren't you? I was, yeah, at the Barclays Center. And I don't know about you, but it was loud in the MGM Grand Garden Arena, and it was the Irish people. They even played Sweet Caroline. The place was going nuts. So that is a stupid um, justification or whatever you want to use. I think ultimately, Joshua, they, they realize that they need to hold off on the fight. And I, I'm okay with this. I'm okay with this. Um, them holding off the fight because they do see that they're, if you wait, people will pay more. It's really simple. P let this marinate as, as we've, we've heard mentioned over and over again, and you make more money in the long run. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, it, Joshua does end up looking weak, but ultimately, like that doesn't mean I'm not going to watch his next fight. That doesn't mean I like him any less. I'm still a, a big fan of Anthony Joshua. But I think as far as the negotiation is going, they could have handled this a lot better. Uh, let's move on. We want to move so on to... So just, just quick, quick topic about that. Cause some of these numbers get lost. So what is it? Do you know, do you have a rough number in mind for what the live... You know, everyone talks about the 70,000 but or uh, 80,000, but rough numbers in your head of what uh, Klitschko Joshua did in terms of live gate? I believe it was uh, less than 13 million. Do you have a number like in your... I think it was like six or nine million. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I have a number here, which is um, 8 million pounds. That's an estimate for the 90,000 crowd. Um, so I have a number here that uh, Canelo Chavez Jr. did uh, about 10 million. And that was a very, yeah. Yeah, and they, they didn't price the tickets well enough. You know, those sold out quickly. That was kind of a poor poor job on there. A lot of money was made on the secondary market reselling those tickets. Um, you know, so not only, I mean, people always talk about in the UK, how big Joshua Klitschko, and I, I'll say this very quickly, you know, because of the 90,000 live gate. Well, okay, so Joshua Klitschko was not the biggest fight money-wise of 2017. It was not the second biggest fight of 2017. The first, the biggest was Mayweather McGregor. The second biggest was Canelo Golovkin. The third biggest was Canelo Chavez Jr. You know, all three of those fights took place in Las Vegas. Um, people can talk about 90,000, Still, they're blue in the face, but that is not the way that to maximize the amount of money for this fight. I mean, and it's just it's so clear. I mean, there's there's no argument, which is again why we can say so clearly when they're turning down fifty two million dollars and saying it has to be in the UK. That's just their way of turning down the fight. Anyway, yep. we can move on. Yep. Um, and if you like this numbers talk, if you like ratings discussion, this is a shout out for the Patreon. I spend a lot more time discussing ratings, numbers, things like that. Um, I just don't do it on this one because like not everyone's into that sort of thing. So uh, definitely check that out. Lomachenko is going to drop the 130-pound title, and he's going to stay at 135. Um, I don't think we really need to get into this other than to say, I think we've talked about him enough lately, but I don't like the move. I, I like him better at 130. I think he's basically unbeatable at 130. At 135, things start to get a little scary. He's starting to get into guys who do have the power to change the fight. I mean, Lenar has changed the fight with the right hand. Lomachenko wasn't himself for like five rounds. So staying at 130 gives him that longevity that he needs to become an all-time great. And uh, at 135, I don't see it happening. I mean, if he does, then you know it would add to his legend. But I think it's a little too quick, a little too soon for him right now. Yeah, just to jump in on that quickly, I mean... Um, there's a much bigger topic here, which I won't get into. Um, we're trying to keep it quick today, but it's kind of just what is top rank trying to do with Lomachenko's career? I mean, a lot of people get him killed right now. Well, I say even among boxing writers, just kind of treat Lomachenko like he's Floyd Mayweather. I mean, just say, sort of say matter of factly, like he's speak matter of factly, like he's this giant star. He's a massive force in boxing and he really isn't. I mean, he's like, um, I don't know. I mean, his last fight did 11,000 tickets, which made it like, you know, somewhere in the top 10 for the last like two or three years, if you compare it to the Barclays shows. I mean, the average Barclays shows does does well over that. His ratings aren't anything approaching game changing. Um, speaking of his Google trend numbers, they're, you know, they're doing OK. They're not massive, especially when you look in the United States compared to uh, Europe. So. I, I don't know. I don't really know what the end game is here. There's no clear way to make him a pay-per-view star. He's making some amount of money on it. You know, he'll be the marquee fighter, he and Terrence Crawford, on the ESPN and ESPN Plus cards. I mean, I guess, once Pacquiao very quickly fades away here. Um, I don't know. It's not like there are any huge guys at 135. I mean, the natural fight, if it happens, would be Mikey Garcia. If you say what could be a pay-per-view level fight, I mean, I say pay-per-view because it could end up on ESPN Plus, but, you know, pay-per-view level fight, at 135, that would be Mikey Garcia. But, I mean, it doesn't look like Lomachenko can go up to 140. So I don't I don't really know what they do here. I mean, it's kind of a strange thing. There's so much posturing related to his career of people talking about how big of a star he is. But, you know, he's already 30. He's already talked about he doesn't want to have a super long career. There's a fair amount of wear on his body from two, you know, amateur cycles going through the Olympics, four-year cycles going to the Olympics, his World Boxing Super Series under his belt. So even though he only has those 12 pro fights, not really clear where they go, not really clear how they max him out. And, you know, Bob Arum has not seemed to indicate that he wants the Mikey Garcia fight. So, you know, if they can work towards that, that's something. I mean, he has less than nothing at 130. Um, Yeah, I I don't really know. I mean, I, I don't really know how high his ceiling is i'm definitely more bearish on him than a lot of people but you know who knows maybe they'll really find something on espn they'll keep putting out these uh viral videos um you know continue to pick up more steam among internet boxing fans so yeah i don't have a clear answer i mean clearly 130 is a better weight class for him in terms of his performance but you know it's not like he has a way to make money there and ultimately boxing is about making money well at 135 he only has garcia 
Well, but that's so much bigger than anything at 130. I don't think so. I don't think so. I, I think Garcia's as a draw is completely overrated. Uh, he doesn't bring in the numbers that a lot of promoters think he does. And I just have ratings to go by. Uh, Garcia just doesn't draw like that. There's the, the potential is there, but he's already about to be 30. Like, when is he going to become a star that everyone thinks he's going to be? Well... I don't know. There you go. I mean, at that's the point. Even his, even his best option isn't gigantic. So, yeah, well, and yeah. it's one option. At 130, you have Javante Davis. You have Miguel Burchelt, who's going to be fighting on ESPN+. Plus. You have... Yeah, which is interesting, by the way, that they're doing that, um, which would lead you to believe they're probably going to try to move him up to 135 and have him fight Lomachenko at that weight. You have Michael Conlon in the future. You have Shakur Stevenson in the future. You have Oscar Valdez moving up, possibly. There, I think there's just a lot more you can do with Lomachenko at 130 and stretch out his career. Do any of those guys really pose a legit threat to him? No. But do they offer interesting fights? Um, with the exception of the two uh, prospects on their way up. Yeah, all of them provide something interesting. Uh, and those guys in a few years will be there. And if, if Lomachenko continues to form... Uh, you know, he's he's also gonna be there when those guys come up. Um, maybe the uh, the only other option I see for top rank, what they can do with Gold uh, Lomachenko at lightweight is hope that uh, Teofimo Lopez is ready for him in a couple of years. But then you got to basically have Lomachenko tread water for two years. Lopez is twenty years old, so. Uh, I'm not too sure about that. Let's move on to the David Benavides thing, though. So this dude signs with top rank. <laughs> sure. But there's going to be a lawsuit because he re-signed with Samson Promotions last year. He's right now ordered to fight Anthony Durrell. Uh, and then you brought up something that was pretty interesting about how, like, basic tort law that um, there's a, there's something called tortious interference right? That's as good as I can pronounce it. We'll leave it at that. Neither of us are lawyers. So I'm just going to read. So how about I read what it says in Wikipedia and you say how that fits. Let's go. Okay. So number one. So although the specific elements required to prove a claim of tortious interference vary from one jurisdiction to another, they typically include the following. Okay. And then wait, the typical example, let me just go the typical example is tortious interference of contract when an individual uses tort and tort is a wrongful act to come between two parties mutual agreement or mutual contract. So number one, the existence of a cultural relationship or beneficial business relationship between two parties. Yes. David Benavides has a contract with Samson Lekowitz if you are to believe the many news stories about that. And the quotes from Benavides and his dad and whatever. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there are quotes from David Benavides and his dad exactly recognizing that. Okay, on to number two. Number two, knowledge of that relationship by a third party. Okay, so Bob Arum, if you're to believe uh, uh, Samson Lekowitz, um, I, I'm not liking pronouncing his name, but anyway. It's Lukovic. If you were, Lukovic. Uh, I've heard, anyway, um, if you were to believe the, the Samson boxing side of things, Bob Arum tried to buy Benavides out of the contract already, offered a fairly hefty seven-figure sum, so that you know indicates in writing that Bob Arum knew about the relationship because he already tried to buy out the contract. Anyway, on to element three. Intent of the third party, Bob Arum, to induce a party to the relationship to breach the, con- the relationship. Yeah, again, we have this clearly in writing. If he signed Benavidez to a contract, there's paperwork. He didn't just try to induce him. They signed a contract. So you have it right there in court. You just present it. There, it's evidence. Lack of any privilege on the part of the third party to induce such a breach. Yeah, so presumably <laughs> uh, Benavides's contract does not contain a clause that said Bob Arum can break <laughs> this contract whenever he wants. Maybe it does. I'm going to assume it doesn't. Okay, number five. The contractual relationship is breached. Well, so there you go. You know, Bob Arum has literally signed him to a parallel contract. That would breach the contract. And six, damage to the party against whom the breach occurs. Yeah, so there you go. Um, 
Aram already offered Samson Boxing money to get Benavidez out of the contract, that proves that there's monetary value to this contract. And also, Benavidez already had a fight ready against Anthony Durrell. So they have right there on paper, besides potential future earnings, which you would have to prove, there's already a fight on the table, which would result in income for Samson Boxing, which is now lost because that would no longer occur under this new deal. Yep. Yep. Very simple. It's just very simple. Laid out so right it, there. Yeah, in addition to if Samson Boxing has a valid contract, that would invalidate Aram's contract. Uh, the point here about this tortious interference is it also opens up Aram to civil liability. So, you know, it's a very bizarre thing that, you know, uh, uh, Samson Boxing would seem to have an open and shut case to get additional, you know, additional damages out of Aram on this deal, not just invalidating the contract Aram signed um, in parallel to the Samson Boxing contract. That it would, um, you know, yeah, he would he would be liable to, for damages. And then the the, you know, Benavides shouldn't have done this, but you know, obviously, maybe he doesn't really know. But the other thing is that if Benavides, he's the one who loses here because if they actually go to lawsuit, this guy's on the shelf. Yeah, which is the thing that really sucks. the 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 way that Aram has an angle here is basically he's holding David Benavides hostage because. By the way, David Benavides is, you know, we think he's young, he's, you know, 21 or whatever, but he's still an adult. Uh, he's still legally right. an adult. You can't just go taking, because probably what happened here is David Benavides has made, you know, six-figure figure dollar amounts in his career, and Bob Arum offered, let's just say, $5 million, $5 million advance. Okay, David Benavides says, you know, I've got a $5 million check in front of me, I'm going to cash that, buy a mansion, buy a couple of Ferraris. And, you know, Bob Arum tells him, okay, I'll deal with the legal details. Right. This is what happened when he signed Manny Pacquiao from Golden Boy. Right. And he ended up winning that, <laughs> you know, to skip ahead in the conversation. So, yeah, a lot of parallels here. So, you know, the devil could be in the details as far as what the Samson Boxing actual contract is. Um, boxing contracts can be a little weird in terms of when paperwork is actually signed, like, you know, uh, lots of contracts for individual fights aren't signed until the day of the fight. I mean, there, you know, all these crazy yeah. things that happen in boxing. But there's every indication that he re-signed with Samson Boxing. Um, you know, again, as per these news stories that literally quote David Benavidez and his father saying that he's re-signed and that he's happy about it. So, yeah, kind of crazy situation, kind of ridiculous situation by top rank. To, but, you know, it. Um, sorry, did you have more to say before we move on to the next angle? No, here? I was just going to say that... Um... While it, it it all signs point to this is some sketchy stuff on the part of Aram, at the same time, you do have to like just give him the benefit of the doubt. He is a snake. He's been in the game for a really long time. He wouldn't have done this, I don't think. He would he would have done this if he didn't see that they were going to win. I, I find it really hard to believe that Aram, after all these years, is going to slip up right now. That's that's well, the only angle I have on this. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it could just mean instead of paying Samson money, he's going to have to pay damages from a lawsuit, and he says, oh, well, you know, okay, that's fine. <laughs> you know, instead of paying Samson some seven-figure dollar amount, he'll pay a seven-figure seven figure legal judgment. And, you know, if Benavidez ultimately wants to be... It's just crazy, though. If you look at David Benavidez's Twitter feed, I mean, just there's nothing about the top rank deal. He announces on May 16th that he's fighting um, uh, on the, the um, God, it, I, I don't think it actually says Darrell, but it says that he's fighting on that undercard. So he announces the fight again to the point, like this hasn't been taken right. down. If you check his Twitter page, it still says he's fighting on the Easter Garcia undercard. Um, right. Which is what I thought and knew was happening. Well, right. So that's again to the point of damages. It's like this has already been announced. He's talked about it. He has a retweet from the PBC. <laughs> you know, he retweeted Happy Cinco de Mayo from the PBC. It's just a crazy situation. Like everything here is about him being involved with the PBC and Showtime Boxing and Samson Boxing on April 23rd. Again, not deleted. He still has a retweet from Samson Boxing uh, saying that we're going to announce the fight soon. So it's just so bizarre. I mean, they're, the only thing that we know is that like Samson Boxing has said that this has happened and Aram gave a very short quote in a response to this saying, we signed him, there's going to be a lot of legal stuff so I can't talk about it anymore. I mean, 
I mean, well, so anyway, the, the other place to pivot to this, okay, Aram's a snake, great, but he's won a lot of these battles in the past. What is, I think another interesting angle to take with this is why does Aram have to behave this way? Great. Okay, David <laughs> Benavides is a top prospect, but I think it speaks, you know, especially with the DAZN deal, putting extra pressure that, you know, oh, there's absolutely. pressure on Hearn to deliver fighters for his ESPN deal. Um, you know, this is true of the DAZN deal and the ESPN deal. It could be very well, both those deals and the payments in the deals uh, could it's extremely likely that they're tied to performance figures. So, you know, the onus could really be on him to actually sign fighters and get this deal to work. And right now, again, it's like, what's the ceiling of Lomachenko? Kind of hard to say. Like, we talked about Golovkin. It never really worked for him to be a pay-per-view fighter. That's a big question mark with Lomachenko, what his ceiling is. David Benavidez being so young, being Mexican, having the ability to go up to, you know, light heavyweight, very possibly being the best super middleweight at this point, possibly being able to unify that weight class, move up to 175. I mean, um, he could sit at 168 for a while and dare Canelo to come up to fight him. That could be a massive, massive fight in the future. Um, you know, at whatever point, I know Canelo's short, but at some point, he'll probably end up going to 175. Um, you know, in the short term, if Benavidez doesn't have a great contract, he could just have Benavidez fight Zerto and just move on with whoever wins and cast the other guy aside. I mean, that's right. also possible. So, um, yeah, good for Aram. But, yeah, I think it is really interesting to say, you know, why would he need to act in this way unless he has tremendous uh, pressure to make this ESPN deal work? So, yeah, because there's yeah. a lot at risk here uh, or at stake if he risks. And But I totally agree with you. Benavidez right now, you know, everyone wants to talk about Mikey Garcia as, like, the crown jewel of boxing and basically – any promoter would be an idiot not to sign him. But I think Benavides is that guy. He's younger. He's in a division that he possibly could dominate. He has time to basically develop before you need to send him off to 175 um, with the you know some of the more elite talents in boxing. I think 168 right now is pretty, pretty weak in terms of the talent it has. And uh, he connects with the Mexican audience like the legitimate hardcore Mexican audience that has typically uh, that Canelo has as well as the American audience in that he's fought on PBC. And now if he fights on these top rank cards, he's it's he's basically got a huge well-rounded uh, type of exposure to boxing fans in the, well, at least in our country, but basically around the world and gr- grabbing the two pivotal fan bases here in America. So um, that's all I got to say on that. And I think that's all we got to say for this week. So again, patreon.com slash Sunday puncher. You can become a backer, get lots more podcasts. Also follow us on Facebook. If you speak Spanish and you're listening to this, you probably didn't understand anything I said, but if Spanish is your <laughs> preferred language, we do Spanish stuff on Facebook as well as do we do Russian too? Uh, yeah, Russian. we got I've heard you. translating some of our Facebook stuff. Yeah. So if you're Russian and, and you also speak English, let us know how the translation is. Okay. I don't know if we fully trust Gleb. Yeah, I'm going to say I don't trust <laughs> Gleb as far as I can. I mean, I have zero trust for Gleb. So I always check Google Translate just to make sure that he's not putting in some complete other nonsense. Uh, I'm still worried that there are some like dirty puns <laughs> that Maybe. I'm being tripped somehow into Maybe. destroying the Sunday Puncher brand as it exists in Russia. Very quick thing, though, uh, before I forget. For next, uh, Danny Ilusinov is fighting on uh, uh, Sky Club Show on Wednesday night. So, you know, he's one of our... Oh, yeah. we're, we're, We've gotten behind him, so his next fight is this Wednesday. Check that out. Yeah, not really that much going on besides that. Hit us up on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all that. Um, Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. See you guys. Now that the tears dry and the pain takes over, let's talk this payola, payola. You killed God's baby when it wasn't his will and blood spill. We can't talk this shit over, shit over. The Lord is my shepherd.